series called Hoopa Kuo, Hearing to Obey. And this morning we're going to look at the first strategy for learning how to listen to a sermon. Let me tell you a story. Not long after 9-11, we got a very strange phone call at our home. Now, you may not be aware of this, but uh, Kansas City was one of several cities uh, in the United States that Al-Qaeda had sleeper cells learning how to fly planes. Remember that? Before 9-11, Kansas City was one of those areas. And the reality is some of these suspected terrorists uh, were living just a few blocks from our home. Uh, leading up to 9-11 or, you know, a year or two before that, we, we saw all sorts of, uh, of uh, Muslims in our neighborhood. Uh, you would see the ladies driving with their burqas. And, and then after 9-11, whoosh, they were all gone because they went through an investigation and, and uh, moved uh, these people out. But some of, they were, some of them were living just a few blocks away. And through a series of events, a friend of Gwen's, uh, got involved with the wife of one of these suspected terrorists. And the wife warned our friend uh, days before leading up to 9-11 that something big was going to happen. They were talking about this in front of her house, and she said something big is about to happen. And then her husband uh, drove up, and she was frightened and had to run inside the house and quit talking to this friend of, of Gwen's. And uh, uh, this friend told Gwen all about this. Well, on 9-11... 2001, as you know, something big did happen, and the FBI quickly got involved in investigating every potential lead. And that brings me to the very strange phone call that we got in our house one evening, not long after 9-11. I happened to answer the phone, and I said, hello, and uh, the man on the other end line said, this is Agent So-and-so with the FBI. Is Genghis Khan there? Now, it's not every day that I get a phone call, one, from the FBI, two, asking if Genghis Khan is at my home. And, and I said, who? And the man said, Genghis Khan. And, I, and the agent said something while I was desperately trying. I said, Genghis Khan? He said, yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what he's saying. He's talking to me. And, I, and finally it dawns on me, do you mean Gwen Regas? And, he, and there's this pause on the other end of the line. And he says, yeah, yeah, yes, I do. And, and, uh, and that's when my mouth uh, started talking before my brain started thinking. And I was just cracking up. And I said to the guy, you know, we're in big trouble. If we don't know who we are, how are we going to find the bad guys? And I'm just, you know, cracking up. And, and, uh, and then I realized I was laughing to myself. And there was just this silence on the other end of the line, and I, I realized the FBI doesn't really have a funny bone when they're doing a uh, high-level investigation. And so I said, I'll get her, I'll get her. And so I, Gwen was back in the back room, and she was doing something and didn't want to be interrupted by a phone call. And I said, Gwen, you get, this is the FBI. They're, they want to talk to you. Well, she doesn't believe me. She, she, you know, so, so we're in an argument. I'm holding this phone with this irate now irritated agent, and I'm like, this is the FBI. They, it is not. It is, and she's backing away, and I'm, I said, you got it. Listen, you just got to take it. And so I take it. She takes it, and then I go in the other room, and I'm just like cracking up because I, I'm like, this is going to be funny. And so, she, I, so here's what I hear in, in the, in, from the other room. Hello? This is Gwen. Just hear one side. Hello? Yes, this is Gwen Regas. Who is this? Is this Kevin Barnes? Is this Kevin Barnes? Jim Lay, is this you? Jim, I know this is you, and I am just losing it because I, I know how irritated this guy is on the other line. 
And in fact, we were talking about this this week, and she said, that guy said, ma'am, this is a serious matter, and I would appreciate it if you would take it seriously. And so finally, Gwen calmed down and figured out that it really was an FBI agent. And when she did, what happened? Her tone changed. Her listening was different. She quit accusing Jim Lay of being on the other side of the phone. And we both learned a very valuable lesson, and here was the lesson. Who we expect to hear often determines how we listen. Isn't that not true? Who we expect to hear often determines how we listen. And listen, the same is true every time we come to hear a sermon preached or a lesson taught. Who we expect to hear directly affects how we listen. And so today's lesson is the very first strategy for how to listen to a sermon. It's spiritual skill number one, and it's simply this. Expect God to speak to you. Expect God to speak to you. Now, just by way of introduction, I I have so enjoyed... It really bothered me that we had the interruption last week because I've been working on this now for two weeks. Expecting to hear God speak is a dangerous thing. And you know why? Because he just may. All right? And the children of Israel learned this lesson at the foot of Mount Sinai. So this is just a little bit of introduction. Turn to Exodus 19. Exodus 19. Because when you really think about it, listening to God, how to listen to a sermon, expecting God to speak, is really what the whole Bible is about. And, and there's something on it in almost every page. But in Exodus 19, 10 through 20, here you have the redeemed Israelites gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses, the prophet, is about, God is about to speak to the whole people. And here's what he says for them to do. Here's how we should, this is what we should expect, how we should prepare when God speaks. Look at 19:10. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, and sanctify them today. Set them apart. Make them holy today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set bounds for the people all around saying, take heed by to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. Okay. <laughs> okay. Don't come near the mountain. Come near the mountain. Death. Be prayer. Be prepared. If, if someone touches it, uh, they, you can't even touch them to kill them. You got to throw a rock at them or shoot an arrow at them because they cannot be touched. Then Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day. And here's when God speaks on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings, and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. 
Now, Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now, notice, turn over to chapter 20, verses 18 through 21. God then speaks, and he speaks the Ten Commandments. They hear from God. Now, here's how the people respond when God has spoken, when they have heard him. uh, Exodus 20, verse 18. Now, all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. And so the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. You see, in this very very lightly just... Expecting God to speak is a fearful and wonderful thing. It's something that people of faith who are prepared draw near to it, though it's a mighty and holy God. No one is like Him. It's people who do not have faith and who are carnal who draw back from it and say it's too fearful, it's too, it's too holy, it's too much. Now, you might be saying, that, that's great. That's the big angry God of the Old Testament, but we're under the New Covenant. And when we expect God to speak, Jesus speaks to us in a still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. It's very quiet. It's very comforting. Well, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 12. Because in Hebrews 12, the author of Hebrews refers to the incident that we just read about and applies it to us as we listen, as we expect God to speak to us. So look at Hebrews 12, and let's look at verses 18 through 29. Look at verse Hebrews 12, verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sounds of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. That's what we just read. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you, us as New Testament believers, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that 
of Abel. He's saying, look, that was earthly. That was a mountain. That was frightening. But we come to the one true God. We hear and enter into the very presence of heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 25. This is why this series is needed. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, and he quotes Haggai, which Pastor Bruce just preached. He promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, the eternal kingdom of the Son of God, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God, the God of the New Testament, The God who is Jesus Christ, our God, is a consuming fire. You see, it's a serious thing to expect to hear from God, and yet people of faith desire it. And like Moses, we do it with fear and trembling. Now, I want you to see in your notes that it says, expecting to hear from God, though, expecting to hear God speak is a skill. And it's a skill that we need to develop as our first strategy in how to listen to a sermon. And so for the rest of our lesson, it's based on 1 Samuel. So turn back to 1 Samuel, where we will learn about the skill of hearing God speak, of expecting God to speak. So 1 Samuel chapter 3. And let's look at first chapter three, uh, chapter three, and let's look at verses one through eleven. We'll read through that. This will give you the story, and then you'll know the background of the principles we're going to look at. Then the boy Samuel, he's a young boy, probably preteen. Then the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. Eli was the high priest of Israel, and the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, this time when the word of the Lord was rare and Samuel was ministering under Eli before the Lord. It came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. And this is more than likely what uh, Samuel's role was to help this blind, and we see later, overweight, blind, overweight, uh, lazy, uh, unspiritual uh, high priest of Israel. He would, Samuel would help this man. He was blind, and so he's, he's got to go around looking, examining sacrifices, uh, uh, lighting the lamps. He has all the job of the temple to be done, and he's, he's blind. He's going blind, so you need him, you know. And so I'm sure many a time during the day, Samuel, 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 
Samuel, Samuel, could you help me? All day long, this is what Samuel was doing. But this isn't all day long. This is in the middle of the night because it says in verse 3, And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was laying down to sleep. So the, the lamp was lit from evening to morning through the night, so the light shone before the ark. The ark is the throne of God. So you've got the, the high priest, fat, lazy, blind, and sleeping lying down, you have God who is always on his throne and always ruling as a sovereign ruler, and you got little Samuel lying down to sleep. Verse 4, it was at all this and in these circumstances that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, and you want to underline these in your Bible, here am I, here, I'm sorry, here I am, here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. And he said, I did not call lie down again. And he went and laid down and the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and he went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. Cause he's thinking middle of the night. He needs to, you know, maybe go to the bathroom, do something. He just needs the help. He's blind. Okay. And he answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now, verse 7 is very important. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And yet that is what is happening. Verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. Then he arose and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived. Then Eli perceived. Finally, Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak. For your servant hears. Then, then, then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, and he gives him a message. Now, in this passage, I see three principles for us that tells us about this skill of expecting God to speak. Three important descriptions of the skill. And the first is this. And it's very evident in the story. Expecting to hear God speak is a learned skill. It is a learned skill. I love this starting out. We are learning how to listen to a sermon. And I tell you, listening to God speak is a learned skill. Samuel did did not know how to do it. And it took another person to teach him. And God used another person to teach him. This was... And so here's the first thing we want to see is that we naturally expect to just hear a man speak to us. That's just our, you know, when we come to, listen, our natural inclination, every time we hear the word of God, every time we come to this church, our natural inclination is that we have come just to hear a man speak to us. And how do I know that? This was Samuel's problem. When God spoke to him directly, his ear and his heart was not naturally inclined to expect to hear the voice of God. It wasn't Eli speaking to him. Who was speaking? 
It was God. And yet, who was he focused on? His hearing was not vertical in God word. His hearing was horizontal and focused on a man. And I'm telling you that every one of us, including myself, when we come to any time, our, our natural inclination is not to expect to hear from God. It's just to hear a man. So three different times he goes to Eli rather than God. And he says to Eli, here I am. And it's a great response. We're going to see in a moment. It's the Rhoda response. He had his ear cocked. And as soon as he heard his name, he ran, it says. And he went, he said, it says. And he went and he says, here I am for you have called. The only problem was he was responding to the wrong person. Eli was no better, even though he was the high priest of Israel and should have known how to hupakuo. Quick to hear, quick to obey from the heart. He was no better. It took him three times to figure out God was speaking to Samuel. The word was rare in those days. By the way, this was the days of the judges. And when the word is rare and people ears are not, they have not learned to listen to God. They do what is right in their own eyes. And Eli's physical condition of being a fat, lazy, blind man was really a picture of his spiritual condition as a spiritual sluggard who could not see and could not hear God when he spoke. Rather critical for his job as high priest. We'll talk more about Eli in a moment, but the bottom line is Eli and God were not on speaking terms, and the problem was with Eli, not God. Eli can only hear God's voice if someone else explains to him what God has said. You see, Samuel gets the message. He says, if God's, if he speaks to you, listen. And then in the morning, Eli wants to know, what did he say to you? What did he say to you? And guess what? It wasn't a message for Samuel. It was a message for Eli. Why? Why? Because they weren't on speaking terms. He did not have a heart inclined to hear. He didn't have the spiritual skill of listening and expecting God to speak. There was a separation. And I fear sometimes that we come to church not to hear from God, but, but we listen to the message and we don't get anything out of it. And we turn to someone and say, what did you get out of it? And they got everything out of it. And we need someone to tell us. And that's a sad state to be in. Not if you're an unbeliever. If you, if you don't know the Lord, that's a great thing. We want you to come. And we'll explain to you what God is saying. But listen, if you're here this morning and you're a believer... And you don't get anything out of the messages at a church that preaches the Bible and teaches the Bible. The problem is with you. Because God is speaking. Now, here's the application for this first point. It's so obvious. I, 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 it's, I, I, I hate to state it, but we need it. Who do we come to hear when the Bible is taught and a sermon is preached? Who did you come to hear this morning? See, if you came to hear me or Bruce, then you can easily dismiss what we're saying. And you right now can be totally distracted and thinking about dinner or the final four or anything else that your heart desires, and it won't matter a thing. But if you came to hear from God, and God is speaking, and you're doing those things, or I'm doing those things, we're in trouble. 
Who did you come to hear? See, are we like young Samuel and only expect to hear from a man? Is our hearing directed horizontally and manward, rather vertically and Godward? As the pastor preaches or the Bible teacher teaches, are we evaluating his eloquence? You know, we saw an example last week of a man who's highly eloquent, so eloquent he's, he can write a top-selling book. But listen, are we saying, wow, that's, that's a guy's a great communicator the whole time, not realizing that God is not speaking through that man? no matter how eloquent he is. Are we expecting to be entertained? Sometimes people will say to the pastor at the end of the sermon, uh, that was really good. I really enjoyed that. Now, when people say that to me, uh, you know, that's great. But as a pastor, here's what I think. Is that it? You enjoyed it? Now, now, not a lot of people say that to me because I'm not a joke-telling, you know, funny guy. But here's the point. Is all that happened that you were entertained and it was a pleasant few minutes to spend? Hey, I really enjoyed that. I, that may, you know, I fear when people say, hey, that made me feel really good. Well, then I, I go home and I weep because I'm like, God, I didn't, I didn't speak your word because we're just not that holy that we should hear you speak and feel comfortable about it. Are we examining his education, his grammar, his pronunciation, his spelling? Uh, for a while in my preaching uh, a few years back, I, w- I was using a word that didn't exist. I-, I-, I kept saying irregardless instead of regardless. And I was like that character in the movie Princess Bride, you know, Vizzini, who keeps using the word inconceivable, you know, and then finally uh, 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 Montoya says to him, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And, and one day, Zach uh, Werner came up to me and said, you keep using that word irregardless. And I do not think it means what you think it means, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I disciplined myself and I thought, well, yeah, I guess I am saying that. So I, and I mean regardless, but I kept, I thought that was a word. Now, to defend myself today, I, I mean, this week I looked this word up. It, 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 it's an, and listen to it. He was right to correct me. Irregardless is an informal term commonly used in place of regardless or irrespective, which has caused controversy since it was first appeared in the early 20th century. And it was causing controversy for our teacher, Zach. Uh, The definition of another uh, Webster's or another place I looked, definition of irregardless, non-standard. It was the, this is the non-standard. Okay, so I appreciate that, you know, and and I know Bruce would, well, I won't even speak for him. You you talk to him, but I'm speaking for myself. Come if I'm using poor grammar. If I'm using, you, you come and correct me. I, I don't have a problem with that. Zach did that. I didn't realize I was doing that. I corrected it, and I don't think I use it anymore. And if I do, you point it out to me afterwards. But also add to that, this is what God said to me also. Because if all you're doing is sitting there and listening, and catching typos, and and, and listening to mispronunciations, and this is what your ear is tuned for then you're expecting to hear from the wrong person. You're expecting. Now, again, as I said in this series, it's a two-way thing. It's, it's reminding me again as I go through We speakers, we want to eliminate everything that causes any sort of static. But the f- fact is, we're men. And we're, we're, we are imperfect, cracked pots through which God speaks. And you've got to get your eyes in your ears, tuned to the one who is speaking. Who we expect to hear speak will determine, and that is a key word, it will determine how we listen 
and how we respond. Expecting to hear from God is a learned skill. We need to be taught how to hear the voice of God, just like we, uh, uh, Eli taught Samuel. We need to learn to look up and he- listen to this. We need to look up and hear beyond the pastor to the God who is speaking through the pastor and his sermon. And that is a learned skill that hopefully we will learn in the weeks to come. Now, it was natural for Samuel to expect to hear a man speak. What was not natural was to expect to hear God speak because he needed to learn that hearing God speak was a spiritual skill. And that's the second thing. It's a learned skill, but also expecting to hear God speak is a spiritual skill. And it requires two things that we see in verses 9 and 10. So look again at verses 9 and 10. And as Eli teaches Samuel, let God teach us the two requirements of this spiritual skill of expecting God to speak. The first, it requires a right attitude. And the right attitude is eager expectation. Eager expectation. So here's what he tells him to say. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That's eager expectation. Uh, Several of the the translations, and I have it in your notes. Speak, Lord. I love this. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So again, I just picture this. You know, cock your hand behind your ear. Speak, Lord, for your servant. Can't you see this? The ser- you know, or the like the big thing, the horn, you know, uh, your servant is listening. I'm ready to hear. When Eli is teaching Samuel to expect to hear God speak his word to him, he sa- it's basically comes as this. When, when, when you're expecting God to speak, you say, you speak, I listen. You speak. Now, how, how many have you said that to your kids? You know, I, I'm speaking, you listen. Don't reverse those. And that's what happens when God is speaking. We should say to him, we shouldn't, he shouldn't have to say that to us. We should be saying to him, you speak, I listen. And that's exactly what he's teaching. Now, literally, what's going on here is he says, when he says, uh, speak, Lord, the Hebrew is this word, debar, which is word. And then the word for Lord, and it's very important that you see it, is Yahweh. So it's not just God. It's the covenant-making God, the promise-keeping God, the Redeemer God who sends sends His Son, who has a message of hope, a message of redemption, a message that will meet your need. But you've you've got to, and and it's the Lord that we just sang, there is no other one. It's not speak Buddha. It's not speak Muhammad. It is not speak Billy Graham. It's speak Muhammad. Lord, the one true promise-keeping, ever-present Redeemer God who is the creator of heaven and earth. And it's basically, word, Lord, I like that. Word it. You know, I was going to put word up, but then I did a YouTube search and realized that, that that doesn't mean what I thought it meant. So it just means word, Lord, okay? Word, Lord. Now, here's the beauty of this. This, this Hebrew word, Debar, and Yahweh, is, is, is the phrase, the word of the Lord came to. The Debar of the Lord came to all the prophets. So if you look at Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Jonah, Micah, Zephaniah, Haggai, 
Zechariah, Malachi, they all begin with the, the, the first sentence in those minor prophet books is this. The word, the debar of the Lord came to Joel, Jonah, Micah. And here it's coming to Samuel. And today it's coming to you. And so you say, word, Lord, speak, Lord, for I am listening. And the word for listening there is the Hebrew word shema, which is the Greek equivalent of hupakuo. Word, Lord. Because I'm quick to hear, quick to obey from my heart. I'm all, I'm all ears and I'm all heart. You see, when the Lord, word of the Lord comes to, the, to a prophet, God is speaking directly to them. He reveals himself to them through his word. Now, this word of the Lord is used in the, in the beginning, the middle, and the end of this passage. Look at three one. Then the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli and the... Debar, the word of the Lord was rare. And then in verse 7, he, the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And then in verse 21, to climax it, then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh. But how does he reveal himself? By the word of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? That's great stuff. Because here it is. When this book, the book, God's book is preached, read, or taught, the word of the Lord is coming to us. And we need to learn to respond in the same way Samuel did. And we should expect the same thing. God is speaking to me, so I will say, speak, Lord. I am ready to listen. You see, Samuel had the right attitude, but he had it towards the wrong person. What did he keep saying? Three times, what did he say to Eli? What did he say? What? Here I am. Now, are you ready for this? This is even cooler. Just wait till you see this. Here I am. Now, if you're familiar with reading through your Bible, and that's why it's important to read through your Bible, is you start picking up patterns. You're like, I've heard that. You know, Samuel, little Samuel didn't just come up with that. I've heard that before. It's the Rhoda response all over again. So three times he says, here I am, because in the rotor response is a response that's ready to respond. She hears the door, and so she runs to get it. What does little Samuel do? He hears his name, and so he run, He doesn't lay there and say, well, you know, like our kids. You know, he doesn't lay there and go, I'll think, of, you know, first I'll act selective hearing. I didn't hear. Second time I hear it, maybe I should respond. Third time I hear it, what? You know, I've had to teach Gwen this principle with kids. And she's just a sincere, dedicated mom. So Amber will do the what thing. And what will my dear wife do? She will repeat it again. I said, Gwen, don't play that game. The girl is not hard of hearing. Me, you may need to repeat it. If I say what, it may be a legitimate thing. With her, it is not a problem of hard of hearing. It's a problem of the heart. But Samuel didn't have that problem. He ran, he went, and he said, here I am, for you have called. The only problem was he was running to the wrong person. Now, this is always supposed to be the response of God's people when God speaks to them. Abraham, in Genesis 22, calls out Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, go kill your son. And what did he do? 
He didn't even verbally, he didn't verbally respond because that's not what God wants, a verbal response, talk. He wants the walk. And so what did he do? He rose up early and he prepared the wood and he got his son and he got his servants and he went to worship. Why? Because he said, here I am. And God spoke and he did it. Jacob, the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob. And I said, here I am. And then he did it. Moses. And so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look at the burning bush, God, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now, Moses, we can relate to a little better than Abraham because Moses had a discussion. Moses had a teenage discussion. Not me, someone else, excuses. And, I, and God got angry and said, this is what you are to do. And thankfully he did it. Now, what does this word mean? This is the beauty of this word. It's not how you use, this is not how we usually respond to people. You know what this literally means in the Hebrew? This comes of two words. It's simply, actually it's just one word with a little prefix to it. It's the word behold or look. And it has a prefix on it, a personal uh, pronoun of I. Or we would say, me. So when someone is saying, here am I, what they're really saying is, look, me. Wow. Samuel, look. It's me, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm all ears. I'm all heart, I'm all yours. When God calls you and I, look. It's me. I'm ready. Whatever you say. Whatever you say. I'm ready to hoop a kuo. I'm ready to be rode at the doorkeeper. Here I am. I'm all yours and I am all ears. Wow. Isn't that wild? Isn't that wild? Now, let me uh, illustrate it this way. And by the way, this is an exclamation. It's a, it's a command. In other words, God speaks and he says, look, you ever had your kid when you're not listening to him? What's the kid do? Becky, you're my blessed. You ever had a kid take you, your face? Let me tell you, sometimes as you teach God's word, you want to do that with some people. <laughs> Would you just look at me? But see, the person who has learned this principle... God doesn't have to take their face and aim it at the, him because they have already done that. Behold, look at me. Here I am. It's, it's like uh, you, you kingdom kids, uh, teachers in kingdom kids. You ever hold up a piece of candy, Jeff, and say, who wants a piece of candy? And what, how do they respond? Yeah, and what do they say? Look, look, me, over here, over here. You ever been to the Royals game when Slugger has his canyon, cannon and shoots T-shirts and then even more bizarrely, he shoots hot dogs out of the cannon? You know, and, and I, I freely admit when I'm with my daughter, I, I'm going to get her a T-shirt, I'm going to get her a hot dog. I've gotten both. And, but I, I'm really thinking to myself, I'm trying to catch a hot dog being thrust out of a cannon. You know, am I that desperate? You know, but but it's fun and, and Amber enjoys it. And what you do is they say, who wants, and, and, and this is what Slugger does. Who wants this? Who, who wants this? Show it to me. And what do you say? Look, look, look over here. And I'm always pushing. It, it's, um, she's getting out of this age. But see, if you push the kid up front, you're know, like, get up there. Let them see you. Because they always want to talk 
why to a child? And that's what God wants to talk to. He wants to talk to you and I because we have childlike enthusiasm and eagerness as an obedient child that is quick to hear, quick to respond. We should be just like those fans when we come to church. We should come to hear the word of God preached or taught, and we ought to say, Behold, I, look at me over here. God, speak to me, because I'm ready. I'm all ears. I'm all yours. That's the first requirement. The second requirement is it requires a right action, humble submission. It requires the right action, humble submission. This idea of here I am is not here I am to consider if I'm going to obey your word. It's here I am and I'm already submitted to it before I hear it. I call this, and this is a radical concept in this day and age, pre-submission. See, we come for post-consideration. I will first listen, and then I will consider whether I want to do that. That's not this response. This is pre-submission. Here I am. I don't care what you say, a la Abraham. I don't care what you say. I'm going to do it because you're the Lord. And what did he teach? What did he teach Samuel to say? Speak, Lord, for your servant Listen, servants don't say, well, I'll see if I want to do that. Servants are there in a position of humble submission. Let me give you the two great examples of this. The first one is Isaiah 6, 8. Those of you 90 day Bible, you just read through this Isaiah 6, 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And here's what Isaiah says. And you guys all know it here. I am, or here am I, what? Send me. You see, it's that dot, dot, dot. See, what happens is before he speaks, we say, here am I. After he speaks, whatever the message is, we fill it in and then we do it. And so the message that Isaiah heard was, who will I send? Who will go? And he says, here am I, send me. So today... If we had come with this attitude, we would have come today. Lord, I don't know what Chris is going to teach, but it doesn't matter because it's going to come from your word and I'm here to hear you. So here I am. I'm all ears. I'm all yours. And then you came today and you heard, expect to hear from God. So now you would say, leaving this place, here I am, expecting to hear from you from here on out. This is my my expectation. And of course, Abraham. If we had time, we'd go all through Genesis 22 because that's how this, how did Abraham show God that he truly feared and loved him? It's when God said, Abraham, he said, here am I. And then he told him to do something that was the last thing he wanted to hear. And he did it anyway. Beautiful story of here am I. Behold, here I am. Number three, it's not only a learned skill. It's not only a spiritual skill, but it is a conditional skill. And this was just to let you know that we don't just run around with pre-submission and expectation just any old place and and expect God to speak. There are conditions to be met, and it's the conditions of the church at Thessalonica. 
And I just, I, I include this for just the sake to understand that there are certain conditions that must be met. I want you to see, though, why I use the church at Thessalonica. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, and it's verse 13. And this, so I went to the Old Testament to teach you this, but I want you to see that an entire church and a New Testament church and New Testament believers have the same attitude. Look at verse 13. Here's what happens when you expect God to speak. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, it's as though he's saying the word of the Lord, which you heard from us, us, people, men, fallible, sinful, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. That's the first spiritual skill in listening to a sermon. Expect God to speak. And when these conditions are met, you can know that it's not the word of men, it's the word of spirit. Let me give you these. You study it on your own. This is not meant to be the study. It's just, it, I, I just, these are the conditions. Number one, God's word must be the content. <laughs> Don't expect God to speak if the word of God is not being preached. Okay? That's why you know God's speaking because the content is the biblical. And there's more in that. But number two, God's spirit must bring the conviction. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, he says, Because our gospel came to you not in word, not only in word, but also in the power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You see, you cannot expect to hear from God if word and spirit are not functioning. Number three, God's man must be consecrated. God's man must be consecrated, or you could use called or chosen. He says... Our spirit came with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved among you. There's more in this. Uh, uh, in fact, well, in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. That's a consecrated speaker. Number four, God's people must be converted and committed or consecrated. God's people must be converted and consecrated. Here's my point. Why did Samuel go to Eli and not to God when God was speaking? What does it say in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 3? Why did, why did he go to the wrong person? He did not know the Lord. And he had not yet, the Lord had not yet revealed his word to his heart. Listen, if you sit under the teaching of biblical preaching and teaching like is taught at this church and your heart is not stirred and you're still the same person year after year after year, you need to ask yourself two simple questions. And the first is the most important. Am I converted? I didn't say, did you pray a prayer? I didn't say, did you make a decision? I didn't say, does other people think you're saved? I'm asking you, are you converted? Has God changed your heart? Because there ought to be a hunger to read this book. I don't mean there aren't struggles. I don't mean you don't get off a day. I have those same struggles, but I, I feel horrible when I do. 
and I determined to make something different and I asked people to help me. I asked you to help me because I hunger for this book. And we're living in a day when people don't hunger for God's truth. And all that tells me is we're living in a day when there's a lot of professing Christians that are not converted. Samuel did not know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed. The second question you need to ask, oh, I'm converted, but are you consecrated? Is your spiritual condition that of Eli? Fat, spiritual sluggard, deaf, blind, and your sin... Is, is causing static when God's Spirit and God's Word is speaking. Well, here's the good news. There's two places in Isaiah. So we're reading through Isaiah. See, I mean, this stuff's good stuff, man. Isaiah, listen to Isaiah 58, 9. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and He will say, Here I am. Isn't that beautiful? There's another passage, Isaiah 65. Here I am. Here I am. See, this is what's beautiful. Is if you don't know the Lord this morning and you're not consecrated or you know him and you're not consecrated, if you will cry out in confession, you know what God will say? Here I am. Behold me ready to to save you, ready to cleanse you ready to forgive you and to give you my heart and my ears so you can hear my word. Isn't that beautiful? Let's pray. Lord, as we come today, your word is just wonderful because you are wonderful and you want us to hear from you and you want to save us, even a young child like Samuel or the oldest person in this room. You want to save And you want us to hear, Lord, let us come with the right expectation. Let us say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Let us come with the right attitude. Here I am, ready to hear, ready to obey. And then, Lord, let us come with the right intention. Whatever you say, I will.